Good evening, and welcome to Meet the Artist Interviews. I'm your host, Charles Chip McNeil, the Director of Education for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education, and I'm very pleased to be here on this Friday evening, May 6th, 2011. We're recording from the San Francisco War Memorial Opera House, and I want to welcome all those of you who are sitting in the audience live today, as well as those who will eventually listen online. As you may know, many of these interviews are podcast, and they're available on our website at sfballet.org. The Meet the Artist interviews, as well as the Points of View lectures, are sponsored by the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. And you can learn more about our outreach education programs as well by looking, uh, looking at our website. Tonight is a wonderful night. Tonight we get to focus on music. And the music for Little Mermaid is, is quite special indeed. It's very moving and, and quite evocative. Um, a splendid show. If you haven't seen it yet, you're in for quite a treat. A little background. San Francisco Ballet, as the oldest professional ballet company in America, was also the first, one of the first companies to ever own its, permanent, its own permanent body of musicians. It was in October of 1975 that the San Francisco Performing Arts Orchestra was founded to serve as the ballet's official orchestra. And it was in 1983 that the group changed its name to the San Francisco Ballet Orchestra. Tonight, my guest is one of the foremost conductors of ballet in the world. That's right. Born in Bolton, e you like that inflection? Born in Bolton, England, he actually began studying, and I find this interesting, he actually began studying mathematics at Cambridge. You put the two and two together, music. Mathematics, I love that. His music training um, went on to, uh, he studied at the St. Petersburg Conservatory of Music as well as London's Royal Academy of Music. He has worked for many companies around the world and guested. He has a long relationship with English National Ballet where he was from uh, beginning in 97, but primarily from 2004 to seven, he was uh, the principal conductor there. He's worked with Houston Ballet, New York City Ballet, National Ballet of Canada, and so many others. Uh, it was in the fall of 2005 that Mr. West joined San Francisco Ballet, having been a frequent guest conductor, and here he is now as our music director and principal conductor, ladies and gentlemen, Martin West. Thank you, good evening. Thanks for having me. So I'm, like I said before tonight, the focus is on music, and I think it's really wonderful. I think when a ballet, just like a movie score, is really does its job well, you, you, you recognize the music, you hear the music, but it just helps to transport you to that other world, that other place. And sometimes we, we don't really recognize the, the excellence in musicianship and composition that really is, is at the heart of, of these wonderful compositions. So Martin... Um, I would, I would assume that today's your day off, so how are you doing? Uh, it's, it's not my day off, actually. I'm on tonight as well. So uh, You're on tonight? I'll be on tonight, yeah. Just, You're conducting the ballet tonight? I am conducting the ballet tonight. I've done all the shows so far. I, I'll, I'll take tomorrow afternoon off. Okay. So he's going to have this little interview with us, and then he's going to go backstage and change into a tuxedo, and he will we, turn around for it real quick. So, okay. you'll see. so when you see this, that's Martin. That's Martin. I, I had to do that joke. I know it's. I had to it's do my that. best side. I do that. So, but I didn't know. How do you not find this disconcerting to have an interview, a, a, a conference like this, on a day that you're present, that you're performing and conducting? Sure. 
But uh, um, if I, they asked me to do it, and uh, I have no nights off this week, so it, it had to be on a night where I was performing, so okay. that's fine. So, okay, as a conductor, though, do you have to warm up your... Um, no. Warm up something? Well, a little bit, yeah, because uh, it is a physical thing, you know, what mm -hmm. I do. It's nothing quite as physical as the dancers, but I am moving all the time, and, and so uh, my shoulder can take, a, especially in this piece, it takes a beating if I'm not careful. So I do warm it up so right. it's moving and just, you know, nothing strenuous. Great. Well, we certainly are appreciative of, uh, to have you here even on a night where you are conducting. So when we talk about, when we think about the music for The Little Mermaid, um, tell me about how you would describe the music in this production. Um, in a few words, because it's, I mean, it's, first of all, it's, it's, it's a big question. It's a massive score. Yeah, it's it's probably it's really huge. Um, I can't. It's just there. I wish to show you, but if some pages it would look really nice on your wall as wallpaper. It's so dark, and thick, and and brooding, and uh, it's full of emotion, full of angst. Uh, the the composer Lara Auerbach, who's I think she's not here to now, but she's been here all week uh, with us. Um, she she was always stressing the the emotional side of. Of the of the score, she, uh, right from the very first note, she wanted us to show everybody it's a tragedy, and the work is tragic. Every every note of it has feeling of of uh, I don't know every gamut of, of tragedy: the, the sorrow and and the anger and the emotion and turmoil and. And, and is this piece is she is it entitled "Decline mir Jungfrau"? Yeah, that's Little Mermaid. That's German for mermaid. <laughs> that's German for mermaid. I was, I was doing a little research. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Lara Auerbach is a composer and pianist who performs in leading concert halls around the world. She is, uh, her commissions include ballets, operas, symphonies, concerts, string quartets, and many others. She is well known because she is on the roster of Hamburg... Hamburg's prestigious international music publishing company, Hans Sikorsky, which is also the home of Prokofiev and Shostakovich. And she is in good company. Yeah, she certainly is, yeah. And she's, she's quite young and she's very prolific and uh, extremely exciting composer. I also heard she writes poetry. Does she? Yes. Oh, okay. She actually writes poetry. Interesting. So, uh, as it doesn't surprise me, why? Because she's, uh, she's a very artistic lady, should we say. So, how many instruments are in the composition for this? this oh, piece? Uh, millions, millions. This is, if you look in tonight, the pit is absolutely full. There isn't a spare place. It's, full. it's completely full. Well, not yet. Yeah. Musicians aren't. I mean, full of chairs. But uh, ordinarily, our middle section would be full with strings and woodwinds. Yeah. And uh, so, we have some extra special guests in the orchestra. Um, starting off with uh, over there. And my, on my left here, as, as I conduct on my right, all the percussion. And there's hundreds of, hundreds of different instruments that often aren't played. We have a, a rain stick, for instance. We have, we have uh, you'll see if you look in, I think it's nine wine glasses filled with very precise amounts of water, mm. which are played. You know when you play at a dinner table, you play that? They're part of our score. Really? Um, we have xylophones and, and uh, vibraphones and tam-tams and, and all sorts of temple blocks and and flexi-tone things that go woo, 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 all sorts of different instruments that she's used to create atmosphere. Mm -hmm. uh, so the percussion department, where ordinarily in, in the year we have maybe one or two percussionists playing, we have actually five playing uh, tonight, as well as the tim players. It's, they're very busy, they're very happy about it, they enjoy the work. And um, we have, uh, what else do we have? We have a solo violinist who's very, very important. He's always there anyway, uh, our concertmaster, Warren Milan. But uh, he uh, plays right from the start on his own as a solo. 
and uh, the, he is the embodiment of the mermaid on land. Mm. He is the, the, the human aspect of the mermaid. So whenever you hear him play, it's her thoughts, it's her emotions that you, you see. And uh, to counteract that, in the orchestra is a very, a very, very special instrument, uh, the theremin, which is very, very rarely played uh, at all, let alone in orchestras. And it's a very, uh, it's an early electronic uh, instruments complicated to do it, explain if you haven't seen one, but it makes a very ethereal noise, and that's to, 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 to depict, I should say, the, um, the mermaid's otherworldly uh, persona. So uh, she's often there, you know. As you hear that, uh, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. it's very, very clear. So the theremin is a really unique instrument. It's being one of the earliest electronic instruments. Yeah, if it, I would suspect. I think it was in the 20s it was invented. Right. Uh, actually, developed in 1919 by Leon... I have my, developed in 1919 by Leon Theremin. It was, originally, it was eventually patented in 1928. It actually took him a long time to get that patented. And now the theremin has actually, strangely enough, has not evolved very much from that original design. You know, so many instruments change and they're improved upon, but it's really very much... Um, like it was in its original design, and it's done with, played with aerial fingering without actually touching the instrument. It's, it's, it's really, it's great to watch. If you can possibly sneak a look at Carolina Ike, who is one of the world's great theremin players, she doesn't even live in this country, we have to import her for this. Right. Because we, the, it's, the, the part itself is so difficult that uh, we discovered that there's probably no one in America who could play it. Right. Um, and that's, that's no small thing, literally. This, this, this score is so complex that she's one of the few people in the world who probably can one possibly of, play yeah, one, or two, one or two people that can play right. yeah. um, You might recognize some of the ethereal qualities of the, the instrument, the theremin, by its um, use in certain uh, films, such as The Machinist, The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Lost Weekend, and even as far back as The Ten Commandments, in that sort of... Uh, very sort of ethereal, otherworldly quality that comes that we hear. You know, its most famous use. What? It's in the Beach Boys. Is that true? Yeah. Like which song? I, I can't remember. Good vibrations. Yeah. Good that's vibrations. Right. That's, that's the one, yeah. Good vibrations. So everybody, go home and Google "good vibrations" tonight and listen to that. Um, so the theremin. Now, do you know how to play these instruments? I don't know if you know how to play the theremin particularly, but I know. I know what is involved in playing it, but right. I can't play it. Right. I, can, I can make a noise on it if, if you know, it's all set up for me, but I can't play it, no. What are your instruments of um, choice? Uh, of choice? That's, of no, that's not the right word. Expertise. Um, expertise, sort of. Um, well, I, I trained uh, from early, early childhood as a, as a cellist and a pianist. And when I went to the Royal Academy, I did two years as a postgraduate cello, so really, that was my main expertise. But the piano was always in the background. It was always something that I did a lot anyway. And when I joined English National Ballet in 97, uh, part of my duties was to play a bit of piano. So when, and I essentially gave up cello at that point because I got too busy. Um, so the piano took over. So I have a waving pattern. And at the moment, I do nothing because I'm too busy conducting. So. Wow. That must, does it make you sad when you get that far away from music? Uh, I don't get, well, I'm never far away from music because I've got these fantastic players to play for me. Because this is my instrument. See, my orchestra is my instrument. That's what I always wanted to do. So essentially I play three instruments, if, if you like. So. Okay. If you're just joining us, I am in conversation with musical conductor 
uh, musical director and principal conductor Martin West. In a short while, I'll invite the audience to ask some questions. But as we do this last little uh, review of The the Little Mermaid, um, there is something particular about this music that sets the other, that, that distinguishes between the two worlds. The, the water world and the, the, the life on land. And how, does, how is that primarily done? That's such an important distinguish. Well, uh, that's just, I mean, I, oh, it's difficult to just put in a nutshell. Um, very clever orchestration, really. Um, she uses the instruments in, this, in very, very specific ways that just create atmospheres. I mean, I could take a part of the score and explain some things, but uh, um, she uses uh, techniques in orchestra that are not generally used. Uh, we use things like, uh, you'll hear a lot of percussive noises uh, from the strings, things we call Bartok pitches, where normally when you pluck the string, you just pluck the string and it makes a noise, whereas in this thing, you actually kind of hold, get hold of the string and you lift it up higher and it slaps against the fingerboard, so it makes this very percussive noise. And a lot of her mu- music is, she, desi- she wants it to be as grotesque and ugly as possible. So you hear the beginning of The Mermaid, uh, in the first section, the sea is quite, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of tension here and there, but generally it's relatively nice. And then the sailors come in, and uh, her, she wanted to depict a, a just very banal, ridiculous life that these people had. She wanted to make this total contrast from the beautiful world underneath the sea to this what goes on above. Mm-hmm. So when you hear the sailors dance, it's not just you know, a, a raucous chance. It's full of dissonances and, and, and ridiculous noises. The trumpets go, you know, they, and they make like a bit like the sleigh ride, you know, like the horsey noise. Also, any sort of diffi- difficult noises, that you, that, that different noises that she can think of just to create this different sort of worldly, um, just, just ideas, puts things in your head. I love it. Well, to make a little bit of a turn here, you have been quite busy of late. And I will preface uh, this transition by saying previously uh, recordings that you have done for the San Francisco Ballet Orchestra include Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker on Koch label and a CD of Tchaikovsky and Tchaikovsky's cello music released on a Talark label in 2009. And now there are new recordings. Yeah, we did some more. Uh, uh, we've done some more this year. We did, she made four recordings this year. We've been very busy. Right. Uh, the, the latest one, maybe we should start with, uh, okay. was the, the Little Mermaid, which we filmed last night and on Tuesday. Um, <coughs> I thought it might be very interesting. It's, it's filmed live, so and uh, the, uh, there's only two takes. So there's a lot of pressure on to get things right, and uh, it might be interesting for the people to know that we do cheat a little bit, because uh, as soon as the house was emptied last night, the orchestra came back in at about 11 o'clock, and we did 20 minutes of, of what, what we call patch sessions. Mm. And we actually, and it's amazing how much, in the, how much we got done. We got about 15 patches done, literally like one note or two notes that we get together, so, or in tune that we hadn't managed to get there before, and then we can splice them in to make us sound even more perfect. So for those of you who who may not be in the know, we are in the process of recording The Little Mermaid for release at a later date, and you might have seen the big uh, DVD, the big truck that's outside on Grove Street there. And so you... Um, but you, but most of your recordings are not done live here. You... No, no, most of them are done up uh, in a studio. In fact, nearly all the ones we've done so far have been up in Skywalker Studios up in, in Marin County. Off, uh, it's George Lucas's home, actually. But mm-hmm. he, he has a, a big, they call it Skywalker Ranch, and he has all these fantastic uh, state-of-the-art facilities, one of which is a soundstage. Mm-hmm. So we, we go up there, and uh, it's a great place to record. You, know, you have a terrible time. 
and everything's going badly and you, you step outside and a cow walks past and, uh, and a deer and you think, oh, you know, life's not so bad. We'll, we'll get it that done. Must, that must, I mean, you play live, you record, I mean, you play live every night, but still to record something that's going to exist in perpetuity must be a, a lot of pressure given the expense and, and, and time. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And it's, actually, it's, a, it's a great thing for us to do for the orchestra because... Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we obviously, obviously we always play as, as best we possibly can, but um, over the course of a three-hour period, you know, things go, you know, things are never quite perfect. You know, we try our best, but but with recordings, you can't leave it like that. You have to get it perfect. You know, and it's amazing how slow the process is in that case. You know, so we recorded, uh, for instance, uh, a disc of uh, Weber clarinet concertos with. Um, a young clarinetist, uh, Alexander Fitterstein, who's a fantastic clarinetic player, um, won the Young Concert Artists um, uh, in uh, New York a while ago. And uh, we, did, uh, we did two concertos and a concertino. It was about 50-something minutes music, and it took us two days. Mm. Two days, six, 12 hours of studio time to, to actually put it in wow. the thing. It's, it's, a very, it's a very slow progress, you know, uh, because you want to, you, you play it well and you think, well, maybe there's a better take, maybe there's a better take. Oh, well, that didn't go so well, mm-hmm. let's get this and that. And so you just end up, and uh, what happens is with, with the right person in the booth, like we had a fantastic, we have a fantastic uh, producer, Adam Abe's house, who's done a lot of my uh, recordings, and he is in the booth listening so intently to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And he's like an extra pair of ears for me, like an extra conductor. And he can just pinpoint what's going wrong. And he, lay, he can raise the level of the orchestra. So, oh. so not only does it good to have something that we have left in perpetuity, mm-hmm. as you say, but we also have... So we, we push ourselves to a higher level. Mm-hmm. At least we like to think so, anyway. Is, is it personally important to you to have that legacy of these recordings with, with you as conductor... Is that important necessarily? Um, don't know. Uh, I don't know because I. Uh, yes, probably. Last uh, me in, in forty years' time. Okay. Because I don't. I don't really know what what the answer is. Because I think my work here is also important. You know. Yeah. To send someone home with a smile on their face is also important. So, I don't know. I when I record things, I spend so long. And the editing process it also takes forever. You know. Uh, just just to put it in perspective, we had two takes of The Mermaid, and uh, I think I'm, down, I'm due to go to Adam's um, studio for three days for editing to get, to get it all oh, perfect. So it's, that's a very laborious process as well. So, um, and then when I've done that, I probably will never listen to it again. You know? <laughs> really? Yeah, I have never listened to my Nutcracker CD. I, I oh my goodness. Well, um, for all, we are certainly, those of us who love ballet music and, and music to dance to. We're, we're grateful for your making these recordings. Okay, I'm going to give you all a chance to ask a question or two. Sir? Mm, what a good question. This gentleman brought up the fact that the music and the dance have a certain relationship. And what, is, what, do you, what has to happen for that to have the right sort of synergy um, between the music and the dance? Um, yeah, on, a, on a very simple level, I have to go the right speed. But, um, on, a, on a slightly, you know, that's a uh, slightly e- easy answer, but... But that's, I, but, well, that's but it is essentially it is essentially right. But it's the same. But like, I could make the same answer. Say, what's what's? How do you drive on a freeway? 
well, I go at the right speed. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's 60 miles an hour. I go 60 miles an hour. But of course you don't go 60 miles an hour. But as soon as you hit an incline, you slow down. If traffic comes, you slow down. And that's, that's what... Mm. But it's all, all about music, dancing, everything's all about that. It's the ebb and flow of the dancing. And so when you, I perform the music, it's for me to, to mirror the ebb and the flow of the dancing. Yeah. So that it always meshes together. Or to know that there's a little detour here which I have to take in order to get back into sync somewhere else. What I was going to mention was that there are some variations depending on who's dancing the role. Oh, very much is that so. Not, is oh, that completely. Not true? Uh, yeah, very absolutely, completely. And not so much in this. Right. Because uh, right. this is not a dancey dancey thing. Right. I don't know how. You, not very technical, was it? Um, but <laughs> it's uh, it's it, theatrical. It's, it's, There's lots yeah. of theatrical Thanks, movements. Thank you. Yes. But, uh, but you take Sleeping Beauty or, you know, a classic ballet. Right. And, you know, it really does matter. Uh, one guy might jump five inches higher than some, somebody else. Right. And that time takes that amount of time to land. So you, the, then the speed of the, of the music has to correspond to that, you know. And you have to know your dancer as well, you know, to make it successful. Is, I couldn't just, I could, but to make it really successful, I, I don't just turn up. For the, for the show, I turn up to the rehearsals and, and see what's going on. And right. And that is one of the distinguishing characteristics between a ballet conductor and a, a music conductor, th- that to know how to do that variation and make that delicate balance between speed, between who's dancing, depending on who's dancing the role. I think we have to appreciate that. May I have another question from the audience? Yes. Oh, what do you do after the season's over? Um, actually, uh, I'm going to New York for a month. I, I'm doing some guesting with the New York City Ballet and uh, School of American Ballet. And then I'm going to have a rest. Right. Yeah. I would suspect that you try to find time to go home to... I, I do try. Uh, it's just not going to work out this year, unfortunately, until probably next Christmas. Um, yeah. But... Um, it's just the way it was. Uh, I was offered some work, and I decided to take it. But my family is going to come with me to New York, so that's, that'll be... I'm not working too hard, so it's a, kind of a little vacation, too. Good, good. Yes, ma'am. Lara Auerbach. Good question. Because it's a contemporary uh, composition, one would suspect that you have uh, uh, some kind of a discourse or relationship with the composer. And is that what happened when we first mounted this piece? Uh, yeah, uh, Lara came last year and she came this year as well. Uh, she probably wouldn't have come this year had it not been for the recording mm. that we did. But she wanted to be there to uh, make sure everything was good. Um, <coughs> well, the way it works is um, yeah, I, I learn my stuff and we... And she, we practiced. What happened last year is we practiced a little bit, and uh, you know, we had a rehearsal with the orchestra. And then she came along and she listened, and she said, "I like this. I'd, I'd like this. I meant this. This doesn't mean that." Mm. And so you, you learn about the score, um, just uh, you know. And then she'll take notes while we're conducting. She'll come and give me notes after the end of the rehearsal, saying, "I, th- I think you need to think about this differently, and mm-hmm. this is what I meant here." And so you just glean little bits of information. And hopefully you, she, she says, uh, it sounds great, and uh, we all go home. But, the, yeah. you know, that's obviously not how it <laughs> happens. Oh, there's t- tremendous amount of feedback, yeah. I mean, and it's, uh, Lara was particularly hands-on, I think especially this year for the recording. She really wanted, she felt, you know, like we all did, you know, this is going to be laid down, and 
could be potentially the only recording ever, who knows? So this is what it's going to be. So she wanted it to sound as, as close to what she intended. Uh, other composers come. Uh, we had lots of composers here this year. Um, Kip Winger came back from Christopher Wilson's Ghost, and he just said, it sounds great, man. And that was that. So, um, and he said, uh, I said, I changed one or two things. Do you, do you mind? He said, not at all. Now I've written it down. I've made a note of it myself. So uh, other, all composers have different ways of, 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 of working with, with me. And Which do you prefer? Oh, no, I don't prefer either, actually. I, I, just, I, I just want the composers to be happy. Mm. You know, my job, I'm a service industry, as far as I'm concerned. I, service <laughs> the, I'm, I'm a, I provide music for the dancers, and I provide music for the audience, and I, I'm... As I was always t taught as a, as a, right from childhood that your job as a musician is to do what the composer intended, to, to get mm -hmm. that out there. It's because they're the people who deserve that. You know, they, they're the geniuses that made it happen. Right. And I'm just a conduit to you know, try and get it out there. Wonderful. Yes, sir. The question is, what do you want the audience to take away from this particular uh, composition, this particular musical experience that's part of The Little Mermaid? Um, well, I suppose I should defer to what Lara wants, uh, which is um, to, know, to feel the tragedy. To, you know, to, it's, it's a visceral score. You know, it's really um, it's painful to conduct at times. You know, I, I, mm. The end is amazingly still, but it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to conduct in my life. You'll see the last, I don't know, last three or four minutes, just nothing happens, literally, almost. Oh, right. I don't know. What, the question is about uh, Martin's process. Um, well, you know, it's, uh, for me, uh, this particular piece, it's, uh, well, oh gosh, that's a really hard question. <laughs> Music works both ways. If you look at my score, there's a vertical aspect and there's a horizontal aspect. So there's 350 pages of the score. So at all times I'm trying to, you know, it's like telling a story. You want the highs and the lows and you have to pace it so that when the, when the real tension comes, you've, you've earned it, as it were. And then when you relax, you, you don't relax so much that you lose the pace. All that. So that aspect of it is always going on in my mind. But actually, this particular score is so complex and uh, and this line after line and left a line of music music that I'm actually focusing probably more in this piece on j on literally lining it up and hoping that the rest of it comes out naturally. Um, you know what I'm hearing you say, uh, and I've never considered this: that you, as the conductor, are as much on this emotional musical journey as the rest of us. That you, in order to bring about that evocative nature. Uh, interpreting, interpreting the music and its emotional content, that you are in that moment. Oh, very much so, yeah. Wow. Very much so. Um, but I'm only reliving what the composer did, you know. Yeah. Um, Lara Auerbach, she gave a speech to us, to the orchestra, to help us understand what she went through to make the piece, and she said that it caused her so much stress that the day after the first show, she ended up in hospital. And she even went as far to say it caused her so much stress that she ended up signing her name on the manuscript in her own blood. So, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things hey, going through the Hey, that tells you about so, art. So that's what you should take away okay. from tonight, you know, the anguish, I suppose. Okay. So um, any other questions? Yes, ma'am.
That was a heart. Oh, look at that. That's a heartfelt thing. Thank you very much. To your musical competence and expertise that has only made this orchestra blossom. And that actually brings us right to the end of our time together. It's, it's so, so short. But I am, I am so pleased also to, wow. to know and to work with you and to have this opportunity to interview you. I want to thank you all for being here tonight. Enjoy The Little Mermaid. And I'll see you. I'll see you next season. Thank you. Thank Good you night. very much.